You are listening to Termination Dust by Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Dowdy, and sponsored by the award-winning novel, The Beloved Daughter. Visit alanaterry.com beloved to listen to this gripping audiobook about a Christian girl in North Korea. And now, enjoy today's episode of Unabridged, the Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 25 If Kimmy had been able to plan her escape better, she would have left earlier in the month, before the termination dust fell, before the nights grew so frozen. Thankfully, it was clear out, and the moon kept the woods illuminated, but without the cloud covering, the night was bitter cold. She and her brother had no protection but a light windbreaker and one tattered blanket, and they were lost. Kimmy was certain of it. She'd long lost track of the time, but it seemed to her that by now the moon was already on its way down in the sky, which meant she'd been walking for several hours along the path she thought should have led her back to the Glen Highway, and she had no idea where they were. Let's stop here for a minute, Buster. Pip hadn't made any sounds for quite a while, no whining or whimpering. He'd stumbled a few times until Kimmy started to worry he was falling asleep while he walked. She tried carrying him, but had to put him down every few minutes. This wasn't going to work. She was sweating beneath her jacket, even though her exposed face and hands burned with cold. She couldn't keep this up. It was too much for her. She was too tired. She stopped to listen. If she could just hear one car or truck heading down the glen, she'd know which direction to turn. She'd been straining her ears for what felt like hours, but the glen was hardly traveled at this time of night, especially this far past tourist season. She heard the occasional rustling of wind, which only meant she had to brace herself for another onslaught of icy chill. Her legs ached, the pain in her feet reminding her that she and her brother had been walking way longer than they should have. How far was she into the woods now? She might be a hundred yards from the glen and wouldn't know it in this darkness, or she might be miles in the opposite direction. What would happen if they didn't find their way out? She was too exhausted to carry Pip any farther. Each time she stopped to rest, she had to guess which way she'd most recently come from. Her mind was foggy, and even though it was convenient that Pip wasn't complaining or acting scared— she was worried by his complacency and her own mental confusion. She held her brother close, and he nestled his cheek against hers. Her face was so cold she could hardly feel his skin. A moment later, his deep breathing told her he was asleep, and she wanted nothing more than to curl up beside him in their makeshift bed of spruce needles and forget herself until morning. But it was too cold— Neither of them would survive a night outside, not if they stopped moving. She watched her brother sleep, wondering how long she should wait before waking him up again. He needed his rest, but then again, so did she. The problem was, if she stayed here too long, she might lose the motivation to ever get herself back up. Then what would happen? Winter was closing in fast, what hikers would come out this way in that kind of weather? And the trappers who ventured this deep into the woods, come wintertime, 
might not even find their bodies if they were buried in snow or devoured by scavengers. She tried to free herself from these oppressive fears, but they kept pressing in on her, weighing down on her chest, constricting her lungs until she felt like she could hardly breathe. She had tried. God was her witness how hard she had tried. And in the end, it wasn't Chuck who did her in, but this blasted cold and her own pathetic sense of direction. She thought of stories she'd heard of other unfortunate souls who met their demise in the Alaskan wilderness. Some were within a mile of the cabins or shelters or cell phone towers that might have saved them, but they had died nonetheless. She couldn't let that happen to her and Pip. She had to find the energy to keep on going. But not yet. After a short nap, she'd find her second wind. For now, she needed to rest. Just a few minutes, then she'd wake up. Kimmy shut her eyes and let the heaviness and exhaustion sweep over her mind and carry her consciousness away into a merciful nothingness. Chapter 26 She was at a birthday party in Anchorage. The kids were dressed up in pirate and princess costumes, laughing and drinking punch. Pip was sitting at the table playing a puzzle game with two other little boys, wearing eye patches and striped pants. He looked just as comfortable as the other children there. And even more amazing, he was laughing. Kimmy excused herself from the chattering group of moms standing around with coffee cups in hand and stepped closer to her brother. My turn, Pip exclaimed in a perfectly clear voice. I get to go next. Kimmy felt her entire core swelling with a pride so strong she wasn't sure her body could contain it all. And then the fragments of her dream came crashing down around her like so many pieces of broken glass. She was awake, she was cold, and she was terrified. Pip! She shook her brother, horrified by the feel of the stiff blanket around him. Pip! She had only meant to rest. How could she have been stupid enough to fall asleep? Pip! She threw the blanket down from Pip's shoulder so she could search out his neck and try to find a pulse. Nausea swirled within her stomach, and her prayer came out in a terrified, pitiful plea. Help us! He was alive. The relief she felt was enough to warm her body and shoot her mind into action. They couldn't stay here, and her brother couldn't sleep any longer. Come on, Pip, let's go! He was nearly impossible to rouse, but the way he scrunched up his face in complaint at Kimmy's vain attempts proved he was still alive, still with her. Wake up, Buster, she begged. We've got to keep walking. She'd been so terrified by the fear that she'd let her brother die in the middle of the night that she hadn't looked around her at all. The aurora was out, not the glorious teals and purple lights that raced across the Glen Allen skies in the dead of winter, but a dull green glow shining near the horizon. It was the answer to all of her cumulative prayers. The northern lights almost always ran parallel to the Glen, which meant that if she followed them straight on, she'd find her way to the highway. Let's go, Pip. This time she didn't have to fake her cheer or enthusiasm. 
Whispering a prayer of thanks, she planted her brother on his feet, then when he started to whine, picked him up, strengthened by her newfound hope. She would get help soon. She and Pip were going to make it. They would be safe. They would be free. Chapter 27 When Kimmy finally stumbled onto the Glen Highway, she realized that she was miles from where she'd started her circuitous meandering through the woods. She'd never have the energy to get all the way to the trooper's station. Not now, not like this. But it didn't matter. She was safe. She'd make it. She and Pip were going to be fine. She'd been carrying her brother, and now as the northern lights faded back to darkness, her last remnants of strength melted away to a deep, nearly paralyzing exhaustion. She was so close. She just needed to get to a phone, some place where she could call for help. But where? If it was the summer, she'd have the light of the midnight sun to guide her, with sleepy tourists on their way to Fairbanks or Canada making their way up the glen. But now there was nothing. If it were the weekend, she might run into hunters coming back home with their spoils, but the night was dark and the highway deserted. It's okay, she told herself, speaking softly as if she were giving her sleeping brother a pep talk. We're going to make it. Walking to the trooper station would take her too close to her stepfather's neighborhood. It wasn't worth the risk of getting caught. If Chuck was out looking for her, she shouldn't even be this close to the highway in the first place. Besides, she couldn't make it that whole distance, not as cold and weak as she was. The medical center was in the opposite direction, only a mile, maybe slightly more. It was a feasible distance to walk and still kept her away from Chuck's place. Besides, Pip really should get checked out. But with what money... Kimmy still didn't have her paperwork back from the state insurance she'd applied for, but it didn't matter. The people at the Copper River Clinic weren't going to turn her away. She set her brother down. Come on, Buster, just a tiny bit more walking. He made a miserable whine that was pitiful enough to wrench her soul apart, but she was at her physical limit. I can't carry you any more, she tried to explain. I just can't. Let's go see the nice doctor and get you taken care of, okay? She was terrified of what the folks at Copper River would find when they took off his shoes. What if he had frostbite? What if they needed to amputate? No, she wouldn't think like that. She and her brother could both still walk. They were just cold. The clinic probably saw patients like that on a regular basis and had fast and effective protocols all set to go. The idea of a steaming shower and layer after layer of thick electric blankets fueled her legs as she slowly plodded forward. Her brain was past the point of exhaustion, past the point where she felt she'd break if she didn't get warmed up and rested soon. But she had to keep going, and she had to keep Pip awake. He had to make this last little walk. It couldn't be more than a mile to the clinic. They were so close. She heard a car behind her, saw the headlights illuminating the darkness. It was still too far back to have seen her. At least she hoped it was. 
She grabbed Pip by the shoulders. Did she dare flag it down? Who would refuse to help a three-year-old child in the cold like this? But what if it was Chuck? What if he was coming after them? She turned, but was so blinded by the headlights, she had no idea what kind of vehicle was speeding toward her. Pip stood frozen beside her as well. Let's go, she panted, down to the ravine. She and Pip stumbled down the small hill where she crouched with her arms around her brother until the car sped past. It wasn't Chuck. Stupid, what had she done? If she'd just had the courage to flag that driver down, she and Pip could be at the medical center in a minute or less. Stupid. She vowed that if another car came this way, she was going to stand out in the middle of the road, waving her arms until it stopped. Even if it were Chuck, it was better to live under his tyranny than watch her brother die from hypothermia. But no other cars came. She was on her own. Pip started crying. She guessed from the way he bounced back and forth that his feet were hurting. Was that just from walking all night? Or had frostbite crept in? Did frostbite even hurt? Her own feet were numb. Maybe it was a good sign that Pip felt something. She couldn't carry him any more, not in her arms like she had all night. But she couldn't watch him suffer like this either. She crouched down. You'll have to climb on my back, she told him. That meant he couldn't have the blanket wrapped so tightly around his body, but they'd have to manage as best they could. They were so close to help. It was going to be okay. They were both going to make it. They were so close now. You've been listening to Termination Dust by Alana Terry. Today's episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast is sponsored by the Beloved Daughter Audiobook, available exclusively on Audible. Visit alanaterry.com beloved to download the Beloved Daughter Audiobook, narrated by two-time Audi Award winner Kathy Garber. If you're new to Audible, you can listen to this award-winning novel right away with a no-risk 30-day free trial when you go to alanaterry.com beloved. And don't forget to tune in soon for the next installment of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Thanks for listening.